today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. But the understanding that there is a lost and dying world out there, and if the truth is not preached, and if it's not proclaimed, then again, the multitude of people that are going to end up into a Christless eternity, because they haven't repented of their sin, they haven't turned to Christ. Better than simply feeling good and going out in our ignorance. We need to feel conviction, and we need to move toward repentance. Today, Pastor David will remind us that many people are lost and dying. The latest hot trend in the megachurches will not set them free, and neither will the latest best-selling book from their favorite Christian author. According to John 8.32, the Word of God will set them free. Therefore, don't give in to temptations that they need something else, or that the time is just not right. Be bold. Speak the Word of God and allow God to use you as an instrument in His hands. Someone's eternity depends on it. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, A Passion and a Message. according to Luke. We are in chapter 3. The people of Israel during the time of John the Baptist were a people who were living with expectation. There was an anticipation that Messiah was going to come. We look this morning in chapter 3 and as we've been talking about that ministry of John the Baptist, we're going to see this morning that during this first century time frame, there was already this ever-growing expectation that Messiah was going to come, that the anointed one, that, that Christ, would, he would arrive at, at any moment. It was a time of change. God was preparing to come forth and reveal Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, as the Christ. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, Messiah and Christ, it's the same word. It's the anointed one. One, it's Hebrew, is Messiah. Greek is the Christ, so the anointed one. That the people were expecting that at any moment, at any time, he would arrive. The rabbis, even of that time, at least those that were still teaching from the word of God, they had been teaching that the deliverer would soon arrive. And he was going to remove for them their understanding that when the deliverer came, that the burden of the Roman occupation would be removed from them. He would come and be the savior of all of Israel. They looked many times, most times, most often as him being a political type of a savior because they figured, hey, you know what? We're Israel. We're already in tight with God. There's no problem there. But we need to be delivered from this occupation of these foreign forces in order that Israel might again become a powerful nation. 
they looked for that. And particular rabbis, they read and they studied the prophecies. They watched for the signs. They watched for the seasons in much the same way as you and I ought to be that way today. And a great portion of the people were in expectation of the coming of Christ. And that's where we're at this morning. In Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, we read these words. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered and said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. John came on the scene as this wild looking guy. We've talked about that before. Uh, he, he had taken a Nazarite vow. That meant that his hair was not cut. And if he'd taken that Nazarite vow, uh, again, as he entered that, even as a young child, all of his life, now at about 30 years old, he had not cut his hair. He had not cut the beard of, from his face. And he lived out in the wilderness. And he's dressed in, in, in camel fur and a big leather belt. And he has his diet of locusts and honey. He comes on the scene, a pretty wild-looking character. One that, again, would demand a lot of attention. And he came and he preached like no one had preached since the Old Testament prophets of old. John came proclaiming the word of the Lord in might and in power, and people were drawn like that. He looked like no one else. He preached like no one else, and his message was a call for repentance, a call that the people themselves would turn their hearts and their lives back to the living God. He didn't mince his words with any kind of pleasant platitudes. He didn't really care what you thought about what he was declaring because he was declaring the word of God. He wasn't trying to impress anybody with his style or with his form. He knew that Israel was in trouble. As a matter of fact, all of humanity was in trouble and they desperately needed a savior. He stood along the shores of the Jordan River. His words cut to the very heart of the people. He said words as we read in other areas as well as here in Luke. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare a way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. As we saw last week, we, we saw how these hypocrites came, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these Sadducees came, and he didn't fall for their hypocrisies. As a matter of fact, for these Pharisees and Sadducees who thought that religion was, a, was an opportunity for them to gain power, for them to gain some kind of position, John would have nothing to do with that. The common people noticed that John was different, but the difference was much more than just his clothes or even the method of his preaching. They noticed that his message was different. They noticed that his style was different. And they noticed that his passion and his spirit were different than anyone else who was speaking during those days. His message wasn't a political or even a religious one. He spoke of men and women repenting from sin. Why? Because judgment was at hand. John knew, just as the apostle Paul knew a little bit later on in, in our New Testament, Paul writes that the wrath of God 
was going to be poured out on all of the sons of disobedience. John understood that. He believed that that was going to happen soon. The problem is, is pulpits in our day, they need to be filled with men who will speak the truth of God's word, not to be, uh, again, influenced by, uh, again, popular dialogues or politically correct dialogues, but the understanding that there is a lost and dying world out there, and if the truth is not preached and if it's not proclaimed, then again, the multitude of people that are going to end up into a Christless eternity because they haven't repented of their sin, they haven't turned to Christ. Better than simply feeling good and going out in our ignorance. We need to feel conviction and we need to move toward repentance. Now you might say, well, pastor, I repented. It was back in uh, 1980. You know what? We need to be repenting on a continual basis. Amen? Okay, some of you realize that and some of you are afraid to say amen. The fact is, is it's multiple times during the day. We need to repent. Sometimes, okay, multiple times during an hour to repent because of attitudes, because of actions, because of the way that we know isn't glorifying God. And whatever we do, the word says, whatever we do that's not of faith, you know what the word says? That's sin. And I need to repent of that. If I have an attitude, if I'm walking in a way that's not honoring to the Lord, I need to repent of that. If in my job, I'm not doing my job in a way that the Lord is going to be honored. If in my uh, relationships with people, if it's not a way that honors the Lord, I need to repent of that. Yes, even believers need to repent. And that message still needs to go out. John's style, it wasn't like the rabbis of his time. For the most part, the rabbis, their their style was simply repeating what one other rabbi had said. Well, you know, rabbi so-and-so said this about that. But then rabbi so-and-so said that about this. And then they would compare what the rabbis said. John really didn't care what the rabbis said. John was being led by the Spirit of Almighty God, and so he was proclaiming what the Spirit of God was saying to the people at the time. And that's why he could see through the hearts of those Pharisees and those Sadducees, and he knew that there was a charade going on, that the facade of their life, John saw right through it. Why? Because he was moved by the Spirit of God. He spoke with power. He spoke with authority. He feared no man. He feared no government. He was willing to speak the truth no matter the the consequences. Catch that again. John was willing to speak the truth no matter what the consequences were. Let me ask you this morning. I don't want to see a raise of hand. Let me ask you, are you willing to speak the truth no matter the consequences? It might impact a relationship with a dear friend. It might impact a situation even at work. It might impact your life in a way that you never thought it would. Why? Because you're speaking the truth. Now, understand, we speak the truth in love. You understand that, don't you? Let the cross be the offense, not you. Okay? Too many times, the Christian, the voice and the the mannerisms of the Christian become the offense rather than the cross being the offense. But to speak forth the mind and the heart of God That ought to be the call of every preacher that stands in every pulpit uh, all over the world. For every Bible study leader, that ought to be the call of their life. And you know what? For every one of us, 
Even if we're not teaching a Bible study, even if we're not a preacher or a leader within a church in any way, for you as an individual, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ought to be those that are willing to speak forth the mind and the heart of God. But pastor, how do I know the mind and heart of God? One thing is by studying this book. By studying this book, you get to know the mind and the heart of God. And you know the other thing? At the same time you study this, you get to know what the reality of your mind and heart is. And again, we get back to that whole repentance thing, don't we? To be able to speak in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit and to be able to speak the mind and heart of God. If the church were doing that today, if believers were doing that today, we would be making more of an impact than you can even begin to imagine. Why did 12 men turn the world upside down 2,000 years ago? Because they were moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, because they weren't afraid of what man or what government would say, and they spoke forth the truth of God's word. And that's what John is doing here. As he stands, he knows God has called him for it, and he cares nothing about what the circumstances might be. After all, you know what? He's lived his life separated from the culture of his day all of his life. And he just simply wants to speak the heart of God. John's passion, it came from that true devoted walk with God. A heartfelt purpose to, to honor and to glorify God in his life. That began even before he was born when, uh, again, his mother, Elizabeth, well on in age, his father, Zechariah, again, how God moved within their lives to have a child in their late years. A move of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and how even when Mary came to speak with Elizabeth and, and John, even within the womb of his mother, leapt, the, the word said he leaped when, when he heard Mary's voice. I believe at that very time, the Holy Spirit was working on John. God called John even before he was conceived to come and to be a spokesman for the coming of the Messiah. John's life and John's message was Holy Spirit filled, it was Holy Spirit driven, and it was Holy Spirit empowered from the very beginning. And all too often today, once again, I'm afraid that our pulpits are filled with the good humor man, able and willing to speak, uh, to make people laugh, but not willing to really and truly speak the truth willing and able to speak and to make people feel good about themselves, but not willing to speak the truth of God's word that brings conviction to heart. I don't know about you, but we need to have conviction. We need to know what the right thing is and what the wrong thing is. And we need to be reminded on a continual basis, the heart and the mind and the spirit of God. It's God's word that comes enters into our life. It's God's spirit that takes that word and brings it into our life, revealing our own heart while it reveals the heart of Almighty God. And then we realize, man, I need to get my life right with him. Beloved, if there's no conviction ever in your life, then one of two things. You're either not listening or the message just isn't coming in. Because every one of us need it. Every one of us. Last, last week, somebody told me, he says, can I see your hands? I said, well, yeah. He said, well, they ought to be red because you've been slapping me around all morning this morning. <laughs> I said, believe me, as I, as I study these things, as I read and as I prepare, I, I get slapped around plenty myself. And the Lord takes and convicts my own heart as I, because how can I come and, and, and preach things unless the Lord has first taken these things and made it real in my own life? And I realize, you know what? How dare I even come and 
and speak the things of God unless God has first spoken in my heart, in my life. When messages are directed more to make people feel good, to give people a positive outlook, to speak of the style or the move of the culture, how can that really be spoken with the passion and with the spirit of Almighty God? The Spirit of God has to come alive first in the heart of the speaker, and that's whether it be the preacher, the Bible study leader, or you as an individual, as you share the truth of your faith in Christ, has to move there first, and only then are you able to move in the power of the Spirit to be able to fully proclaim the truth of God's message, the truth of what God's doing in your life. John was a man whose message, his style, and his spirit were different than all of the others of his time. And so, as those people who were in expectation, they reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. But John made it very clear to them that he wasn't the Christ. And in Mark's version of this portion of Scripture, Mark tells us that John proclaimed to the people, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John knew, John understood what his position was. He was and I'll say the word simply the forerunner. As dynamic, as purposeful, as needful as that job was, John knew that, no, he's the forerunner. He's not the Christ himself. He was to prepare the way. He was to get the people's hearts ready to be able to receive from the kingdom of God. He had no false ideas, no false concepts about his place and his purpose. His purpose wasn't to build up his own ministry. He was pointing the people to the soon arrival of Messiah. You need to understand for John, it wasn't some false humility. Oh, you know, I'm just nothing. Uh, he's so much more than me. You know, I'm just a worm. I'm nothing. No, it was a real true understanding of his purpose and of his place. But in understanding his purpose and his place, he also knew the purpose and the place of the coming of Messiah. And he says, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest slave within the household when it comes and compares to the coming of Messiah. He says, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandals. It was the place of the lowest slave within the household to greet the master of the home, to loose his sandals, and to wash his feet as he comes in the door. That was the lowest slave. And John says, I'm not even worthy of that. One other thing that ought to remind you of, remember in the upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed, just before his crucifixion, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. He took the form, not just of a servant, but as the lowest of servants and wiped the disciples' feet. What a heart, what an attitude. John fully realized the significance and the importance of his own ministry. But he also understood that compared to the coming Messiah, he wasn't even worthy to be that lowest slave. As powerful as John's ministry was, as important as it was to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, remember, it's the one that says there's going to be one, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Still, all of that, there was no self-importance that got in the way of John's life, pointing clearly to the Savior. 
and how, beloved, how we need to understand that ourselves. No self-importance should ever get in our way. There ought to be a humility in every one of our walks. And I don't care what position or place you are in life. Rather, you are, you're on the uh, up and outs or the down and outs, okay, or somewhere in the middle. Our lives ought to be able and willing to minister that truth to anyone and everyone that comes our way. We ought to be able to be a demonstration of the heart and mind of Christ. We ought to be a demonstration of the truth that our lives have been changed by the gospel. Through all of that, John worked in that ministry of baptizing people, but John's ministry was in that baptism. He knew it was, uh, you might say the phrase, uh, a preparatory baptism, okay? A preparatory baptism. Simply getting the people's hearts ready and right to receive from the Christ. What did John say? He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. One of the commentators of the New Testament, a fellow by the name of Spence, I like what he says here on this. He says, John could do no more with his words and symbol baptism than to rouse the people to struggle after repentance and a change of heart and life, while Messiah would furnish to men the influence from above that was really needed in order to purify their hearts and their lives. John would procure and the Messiah would procure and pour out the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, as John ministered to them, he's simply saying, you know what? If your heart is ready, if you're ready to repent, come and be baptized in these waters in preparation of the one that's coming, getting your heart ready, knocking down those mountains in our lives, making the path straight within our lives that Messiah might be able to enter with his truth and with the message of the hope of the gospel in our lives. John knew his was preparatory, but when the Messiah came, he was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And some say, look at that. Well, what is this baptism of fire thing? What, what does that mean? Well, some feel that it, that it deals with this idea of the, the, the chaff burning with unquenchable fire, that they say that's what the baptism of fire is. But I, I disagree on a couple of points, and I believe that what's happening to the chaff is what's happening with non-believers, and I believe that this baptism that John is speaking of, that, that this baptism is not a punishment. The baptism of fire isn't a disciplinary action. It's a purifying one. John didn't say that some of you would be baptized with the Spirit, but all you bad guys, you're going to be baptized with fire. No, he's speaking to all of them. He says, no, you, he is coming, and he will baptize you. If he was from the south, he would have said, y'all, because he wants to include all of them. He's going to baptize y'all with the Spirit and with fire. The thought of the idea is that being baptized by him, by Christ, would again work within our hearts and lives, both that work of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, but also that purifying work within our lives. You guys understand that fire, when it's contained, it's a good thing. It brings warmth, it brings comfort. It's useful for many things. But when that same fire is taken out of the containment, it brings destruction and it brings death.
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Small